What are other more common mistakes that we would make in negotiation? So first of all, we talk too much (laughs) and we talk first. I think that's a common mistake. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Did you know that you can bring ideas from Valley into your business? If you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans, you can discover Valley's business offerings so you can bring personal and professional growth to the entire company. If you are the owner of a company, you know that if you invest in your employees' engagement, happiness, and learning, it'll help the bottom line and impact the business positively. And if you wish your company was bringing these kinds of products from Mindvalley Quests, Mindvalley Mentoring, and all the learnings to be a complete high-performance individual in every area of your life, then you definitely want to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans to see how we can get started with working with you. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I am extremely excited today because we're going to talk about one of the skills I find is one of the most important skills that you should be learning right now if you want to be a superhuman at work. I'm not kidding about this skill. It's one of the things that I think is most untaught in schools. And when people learn this, you get such an unfair advantage in every area of your life. And I'm not just talking about the workplace. I'm talking about in relationships with your family and just even with yourself. We're talking here about negotiation. And before you start thinking that this is the type of skill that you develop if you want to manipulate others and really get into conflicts with other people and just always leaving the other person with nothing, we are going to demystify these and talk to you about some important questions that you can bring to your skill sets that allows you to better justify what you do, get paid or get recognized or get what you want based on what you're putting in in a much more fair way. And you'll realize that when you navigate this skill in a beautiful way that's going to be described by our guests we have today, you will see that this tool is going to be part of your arsenal, is going to support you in being a superhuman, and you're going to learn the right way to do it. Alexandra Carter here is a professor at the Law School of Columbia. And get this, she was awarded the Presidential Award for Outstanding Teaching. And she has spoken to Fortune 100 companies. She's advised the U.S. government, foreign government, non-for-profit organizations. And now she has just released her new book, Ask for More, 10 Questions for Negotiating Anything. And you're going to learn this important skill of negotiation, how you can apply it into your life, and some tricks that you can immediately apply from listening to this interview. She's been featured on so many different platforms, and we're going to have her here on Superhumans at Work. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Jason. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you because you're a negotiation trainer, you're a mediator, and I really wanted to dig into kind of your history because most people think negotiation is this brutal kind of confrontational thing. And I know that you started in mediation and I wanted to kind of go through your journey of how you learn negotiation and what is it today? Yeah. You know, it's funny, Jason, most people don't know what mediation is And I didn't know what it was either until I went to law school. And in my last year, my best friend pulled me aside and said, hey, Alex, you know, I'm taking this course and it involves a lot of talking. I think you'd be great at it. And so I signed up for the course called the Mediation Clinic. And I was trained basically to help people 
you know, resolve conflict and to bring them together, to help them negotiate better with each other, to reach a deal. And the first time, Jason, that I sat down with two people and I used the tools I had and I was able to help them see the situation differently and walk out happy, I thought, this is it. I have found what I want to do for the rest of my life. And since then, I've worked now coaching thousands of people on how to negotiate better and resolve conflict. But Jason, by the time people got to me as a mediator, they were already in court. You know, their business partnership was gone. Their personal relationship was gone. They had spent so much money and heartache. And I thought, I learned all of these tools about how to negotiate better. And I don't want people to wait until they're in court to get these tools. I want people to have these tools now in their home, in their office, and be able to use them to reach their biggest goals. Mm, I love it. And so we're talking here about negotiation and aspect of mediation. In essence, we're talking about this way that people can come together and kind of reach a consensus. And I maybe wanted to start there. Like a lot of people think negotiation is about, you know, taking away from someone else, which leaves one person with less and you with more, and everybody should be fighting to try to get more. Is this the reality of the situation or how do we approach this differently? You know, it's interesting, Jason, because so many people say that to me. Well, I'm sitting down with my adversary. You know, why would I want to work with that person? And here's what I tell people. I want you to think of how often you're sitting at the table with somebody who you think is your adversary, but really, once the negotiation is done, that person becomes your partner. If, for example, you're an entrepreneur and you're a product supplier and you're sitting down with a distributor to figure out how much you're going to be able to get for your product, once you reach a deal, that distributor has to work with you to get your product in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Or even if we're negotiating together, you know, and you're my manager and I'm seeking a raise. After that's done, I still need you to be my champion at the company from that day forward. So what I tell people is, you know, in life, we're all interconnected in some way. And so I find that working with people collaboratively and using the approach I teach, which is about asking questions actually helps you do better financially, but also it creates relationships of trust. That means, Jason, you don't just want to do one deal with me. You want to be in partnership with me, and we're both going to make more money over the long run. I love it. I, I need to make a confession here, which is I often find myself like I'm a salesperson. I feel like I know a lot of the tools about negotiation sales to kind of, I'll say, quote unquote, squeeze people and getting more of what I want. But I almost have this guilt about asking for more because I'm wondering like, oh, if I make this person kind of offer it to me at this level, like way cheaper than they were asking, am I going to get less quality of a service? Like, is there going to be a trade-off from being so aggressive? And I kind of wanted to open that up. Like, is this a reality? Is there a way to navigate this? Or is this all in my head? It's interesting, Jason. And sometimes I think we have to experiment, right? So finding that optimum place where... You know, we're getting an advantageous deal. And by the way, may I say, I think you're in the minority of people who say to me, you know, the Alex, the problem is I'm too damn good. You know, I just I get in there and I'm going to get them down to a super low price to the point where I'm leaving them, you know, with with they're at cost, basically. So congratulations on your ninja skills. But, 
You know, what I would say is for somebody like you who finds it very easy, you know, from a sales perspective, and I'm guessing, Jason, by the way, also that you make connections with people. My bet is that people like you and they enjoy talking to you. And that's part of the reason that they're willing to go lower because they find you an enjoyable person to work with. That's my guess, having met you now for 10 minutes. Alex, but, stop it. You're tooting my horn. You're I, telling me I'm a great salesperson. You're telling me I'm nice. This is, I'm, this is too much. What's going on? <laughs> that's the second book, Jason. See you in a couple of years. It. Yeah. So, you know, you'll have to find that place. It's kind of that optimum zone where you feel like you're getting a really advantageous deal that meets all of your needs, but you also need, and this is an expression I heard in the Middle East, you need to find a way to write your opponent's victory speech. In other words, how are they going to sell that deal to the people they have to answer to? How are you going to make sure that you leave them enough that they're feeling good, that they are plugged in, and that they are going to do their best work for you year in and year out. So it is kind of finding that sweet spot in there. I love it. Okay, so from what I understand here is really when we talk about negotiation, it sounds like we're, we're aiming for the win-win, but the win-win doesn't necessarily mean that you just start giving more because that's what you feel is the way to do it. I want to maybe switch this over to what are some of the mistakes we often make in negotiation? So for here, maybe it is a rare case, but for me, it was like, oh my God, what if I negotiate them so low that now they're kind of only 70% of their energy into delivering the service I need? What are other more common mistakes that we would make in negotiation? So first of all, we talk too much and we talk first. I think that's a common mistake is that we think and let me give you a sales example. Since we've talked about sales and that's kind of your zone, I worked with a startup company recently, you know, and relatively established for a startup. They had raised a couple rounds of financing already. This was a product supplier and they were doing fantastically well on the coasts of the US, right? So in New York and LA and San Francisco, kind of where you would expect them to do well. They really wanted to break into the Midwest. And they called me because twice their sales team had gone in for a meeting with a distributor in the Midwest, and they went in with a glossy pitch deck. They gave their best pitch. They walked out. They were like, we totally got this deal, and they didn't have the deal. So this time, we spoke beforehand, and we devised a different strategy. They went in, sat down, and they asked one of the questions from my book. They said simply, we're so happy to be here. We've been here twice before. Tell us how you're seeing the sector. Silence. They sat back and waited. And it took a few seconds of stunned silence on the part of the distributor. And then she said, okay, you want to know why you didn't get the deal? I'll tell you why you didn't get the deal. I didn't see the data to support that my customers were ready for a premium product like yours. I thought I had to go lower. Recently, I feel like the data had been more mixed, and so I called you in. Now, they had the keys to the kingdom. They didn't need to do a whole pitch deck. They could pitch directly to that concern with the best data they had, and they walked out with a six-figure deal during coronavirus. They did it by asking one question and then just letting it be silent. So talking too much, why do we find ourselves needing to talk too much? So how do we break away from that? It seems like we need a bit of discipline here. Yeah, I would say, you know, discipline, 
confidence. A lot of times we talk because we get nervous about silence. We're worried about what's going to be on the other end. But silence can be an extremely powerful tool, especially for, you know, Jason, I'm guessing that not all of your listeners are like you. Some of them may, in fact, say that they were more introverted or they're nervous about asserting themselves in a negotiation. So let me tell you another story. I was counseling a friend of mine, a mom. She's a stay-at-home mom and she's an introvert. And she told me, Alex, I just don't negotiate. I told her about silence as a tool and she used it. She's working at a summer camp and she's trying to get free tuition for a week for her kid's cousin who's staying with her. And so she calls up the camp and says, look, you know, I'm working there. I'm sending my kids. What can you do for me on the tuition? And the camp director says, oh, I could take 20% off. And she sat on the phone and just said, hmm. He said, um, well, how about 50%? Hmm. And then he said, you know what? You've been working here a long time. The kid can come for free. And she said, thank you so much and hung up the phone. Sometimes when you allow there to be a little bit of silence, it is the most effective advocacy tool you have. The other person gets nervous. They fill in the silence and you end up with a great deal. She called me up and she said, Alex, I can't believe it. Introversion turns out to be my superpower in negotiation. That's amazing to hear. And I bet we have also a lot of examples that people could use this specific skill to simply go ahead and get a raise within their workplace, right? And I wanted to maybe dig into that use case particularly because I feel like a lot of people find that the idea of proactively going to negotiate their pay can be something that is stressful. And so we know this silence, like ask and be silent can create a lot of opportunities. Are there other powerful tools that people could use if they're looking to renegotiate themselves for a salary? Absolutely. You do it by asking the best questions. So first, Jason, what I would want people to do is sit down with themselves first and ask themselves a few good questions. Because a lot of times the mistake I see people make when they get into negotiation with somebody else is... They have what I call a negotiation one-car accident, which means they're kind of crashing into themselves. They haven't taken the time to get clear, set their priorities, and have their you know strategies at the ready. So the first place I would want your listeners to start is by asking themselves this critical question. What's the problem I'm trying to solve? A lot of times people jump right away and they go in and they say, Jason, I want a 10% raise. And they start with the solution. But why? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Do you merely want more money in your bank account? You want X amount in your bank account every two weeks? Or are you trying to telegraph to Jason that you are destined for the C-suite, that you are management potential, you have leadership potential, and you want to teach that person how to value you? If that's the problem you're going to solve, then we're not just talking about money. Yes, we're going to talk about money, but we're going to talk about other things. We're going to talk about mentorship. We're going to ask what they have for training, for sponsorship. It's a much more comprehensive solution. So whatever your negotiation is, always start by defining the right problem to solve. Now, it sounds to me, this is an amazing insight, and I can see this being applied with so much more than just getting a raise. So right now, I'm already taking mental notes about other things I'm doing. And I love how it now brings so many more variables in the play. 
And it seems to me like sometimes we go into that negotiation saying you're like, okay, I can only negotiate the price. And if they say no, then it's like, uh, so how does the power of having different levers have in the room for negotiation? And how do we expand on that? I feel like what you just said, defining the problem already does a lot. Tremendous. You know, another question I like to ask is, you know, what else? What else is available to us to help us close this deal? How else have you done this successfully before? But let me give you another example, Jason. You know, the first time I ever got hired out as a private speaker, it was, you know, a number of years ago, and my daughter was a baby, and another baby in her playgroup had a dad who worked for a large company. And one day, we're playing with the babies, and he said, hey, you teach negotiation, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you do public speaking or, you know, corporate work? And I said, I do now. And so he got me a meeting with the higher ups at his company. And so I went in and I negotiated and I pretty quickly maxed them out on the money. And I got the sense that they were being candid when they said, look, this is an internal thing. We did a bunch of other stuff first. This is kind of what we have left for the speaker budget. We know it's under market, you know, and I said, OK, tell me more about the event. Just tell me as much information as you can. And I got some information. And so then I said to them, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to pay me this amount. Plus, you've told me that you have a professional photographer at the event. I want that person to take high-res photos of me up on stage with your logo in the background and for me to use them for my future portfolio and corporate work. And I want you to make somebody available at the managing director level or above as a reference for me for my future engagements. They said yes to both of those things. I did the event for slightly under market, but the value of the photos alone would have taken me above and I went on to make probably 50 times that initial amount in referrals that I got just from that one gig. So I find that when I ask open questions like, tell me, you know, your ideas, tell me more about this event, and I get as much information as possible, I then can create multiple sources of value that are going to work for everybody. Oh my God. I love this because you've been able to generate not just on the income, but on everything else, the future income. And again, not being so pigeonholed for just getting that dollar amount. And I love how your whole approach is always about asking more questions. It sounds like you were asking for more, but I see here that it's always about having more dialogue and also probably being a lot more of a listener than a talker. As we're going into this field of negotiation, as we mentioned in the beginning, some people have more blocks around it. What would be some advice you could give for people who's listening to this going like, oh yeah, these are a great idea, but I still kind of freeze up or I still get kind of anxiety anytime I get into, let's call it a quote unquote confrontational situation. How do we become stronger in flexing that muscle and just really being able to ask for more and being more curious and practice the skill of negotiation, not just accepting things as they are? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is that I wrote Ask For More to feel like a coaching session. I want people to feel as though I have pulled up a chair next to them and I'm working them through a lot of these blocks. And I want people to know that 
you don't always have to have the perfect thing on the tip of your tongue right there to be a great negotiator. Because what I'm going to teach you to do is how to ask a few good questions of somebody else that you can ask at any time. And not only does it give you more information, but it also buys you time then while you're gathering that information to plan your next move. So you don't always have to be four chess steps ahead. You just have to have the next great question in front of you. But Jason, I want to address something else because sometimes it's not a matter of tactics. It's a matter of self-belief. And I think sometimes people believe that negotiating for themselves is selfish, you know, that they're not worth it or that by getting more for themselves, they are leaving somebody else with less. And so I want to tell your listeners a story, Jason. I want to tell them about the first time that I ever negotiated for my own salary. And like a lot of people as a younger professional, I was great at negotiating for other people. I was ferocious. I was a bulldog. You know, I was the person that was like, they're barely going to have any money left. Hopefully they'll still want to work for me. But when I negotiated for myself, I found it much harder to do. So I go in for this first salary negotiation. I got my power suit on. And they came in above what I expected. So I composed my face and said, thank you so much. I'm going to run these numbers and I'll come back to you. And I didn't know what to do. And so I called a senior woman in my field, actually. And I said, can I ask some advice? You know, they came in above. So should I just take it? I'm not sure what to do. And she said, I'm going to tell you what to do, Alex. You're going to go in and you're going to ask for more. And I said, I'm going to ask for more. And she said, yes, because when you teach someone how to value you, you teach him how to value all of us. So if you're not going to do it for yourself, I want you to go in and do it for the next woman who's coming up behind you. And that was the moment that I realized, especially as a woman, that when I stand up and I advocate for what I'm worth, I make it easier for the next person. You know, and so whether you're a woman, whether you are from any, you know, traditionally underrepresented group, you know, or simply whether you're a human being who wants to create more seats at the table, truly, when you advocate for yourself, you create those spaces for other people and inspire them to do the same. That is a brilliant, brilliant lesson. I'm so glad we were able to end with that and make sure people understand that message. And Alex, I have to say, it resonates with me a lot as well. I've been the person that if I'm working for a company and I need to sell, I'm unstoppable. But then looking at the self is always a new lens that gets you to learn so much more and makes it a little more vulnerable in the process. But we're all learning. And I think for people that are looking to negotiate, which I would recommend everybody to have a look at Ask for More, the 10 questions on negotiating anytime, pick up Alexandra Carter's book. You can learn so much more. And just as a recap for all the listeners, we first wanted to break down the idea that negotiation is about taking, 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 and really just leaving the other person as the loser and you being the winner. Here we're talking about mediation. How do you make it so that you are both successful? And I love this model and the fact that if you are negotiating with somebody, think about the fact that these people are going to become your partner. That doesn't mean that you let yourself pay the highest price possible. You want to negotiate for yourself as well. So you ask the right questions. You expand the variables so that you're not just going on one item so that if it's a no, then you're stopped. Look at all the different ways. Maybe it's a delay of payment. Maybe it's the terms. Maybe it's something else of value that you can identify. 
But the question here of ask for more is focus on more questions. We shared some quality questions that you can ask in various scenarios here that can be applied in multiple other areas. They're usually similar types of questions. And one of the most powerful tools that Alex shared here is the actual power of silence. Silence can be your number one negotiation tool. So keep yourself in check. Don't talk too much, which is a common mistake that we do when we're nervous. And instead, be very practical on the questions you ask and see that you are working at making a better situation for yourself. You're working at making a better situation for everybody. And the more deals get made, the more the world gets beautiful, the more things happen, the more impact is a result of that. So always keep that in mind. And I love how closing in the end, when we talk about our own self-worth, step into the best version and the best worth of you that you can be, because it's always difficult for people to negotiate. And if you can be the shining example that asks for more, then you're giving permission to others to do the same, which makes the whole world more abundant, including yourself. Alex, this was an amazing interview. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas with our tribe here and all the listeners stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.